So unless you've been completely ignoring the news for the past several weeks, it is pretty much guaranteed that you've heard the news about Roe v. Wade, so we are absolutely about to talk about it. Let's go ahead and get started. So welcome back to Grace Nerd, everyone. My name is Eric, if you're new to the channel. If you like learning about Christian theology, or you like commentary on culture from a Christian worldview, or you like talk about the Christian life, then make sure that you go ahead and subscribe and hit the notification bell so that you know when new uploads happen. Or if you discovered the podcast in audio form, then make sure that you follow wherever you are. So I want to do a few things in this episode. I want to start very basically and go over why being pro-life is absolutely the correct Christian position to hold. And then I want to touch briefly on the current news that is going on and how we should feel about it and what it means. And then I want to talk about what Christians can continue to do as we watch the news unfold. So to start, yes, I absolutely believe that being pro-life is part and parcel of the Christian worldview. So if by some chance you have no familiarity with this term, it is often held in opposition to what is often called the pro-choice perspective. Ultimately, being pro-choice really is only a reference to believing that women have a right to abortion, to terminate their pregnancies, or from the pro-life perspective, to kill the unborn child in their womb. And so being pro-life ultimately relates mainly to abortion, but it is a part of an overarching worldview that believes that human beings are made in the image of God, and that life begins at conception. Scientifically, we know this is the case because once the sperm and the egg come together in conception, there is a unique DNA that is created at that point that is separate from the mother and contained within that DNA is all that is needed for a fully developed human being to come about if there is no direct violent human intervention. So that's what the science says, but as Christians, as we look at scripture, we see that scripture absolutely agrees with this worldview. For instance, God speaks to Jeremiah the prophet and he says, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. This shows that God absolutely considers the personhood of every individual long before they are fully formed in their mother's womb and long before their birth. Or for instance, in the New Testament, we hear about John the Baptist and how he leapt for joy in his mother's womb when news of the Messiah was spoken of near him. Scripture absolutely presupposes the life of the unborn child before it ever exits the womb. There are also Old Testament laws that presuppose the life of the unborn child. We see that if a pregnant woman is injured such that the child dies, the person holds the same responsibility that they would if they committed a murder of a born person. However, in spite of the biblical clarity on this issue, there are those who would claim to be Christians who distort these truths and actually join political movements that encourage abortion, or at the very least, defend abortion. Ultimately, I don't think this comes from careful reasoning, but I think that it comes from cultural pressure and giving into bad arguments for the sake of pleasing culture. Christians often buy into the false choice of having to care for a woman versus caring for the child. They buy into the lies that say that we cannot do both. Often Christians are shamed and they're told that they care so much about the unborn child, but they don't care about the child after it's born. Ultimately, this kind of accusation does not bear any weight if you look at the actual statistics concerning Christians and generosity and charity. Christians remain one of the most charitable groups in America. 
personally, my church, we support a local pregnancy center that supports moms and gives them alternatives to abortion. It provides ultrasounds and different supplies in order to take care of the child. And ultimately, when Christians are often shamed in this way and told that they don't care about children outside of the womb, what the people ultimately lobbying this accusation are doing is actually advocating for forms of socialism. They don't believe that it is ultimately the mother or the family's responsibility to take care of the child. They believe that the state is meant to take care of the child. One argument that I've heard used in order to distort the pro-life perspective and push Christians towards the pro-choice perspective came from a time when I was at work and I got into an argument with a feminist. This woman claimed to be a Christian, but over the course of many conversations, it became clear to me that nothing about her worldview ultimately matched up with Christianity. She used the argument that somehow scripture teaches that life is in the quote-unquote breath. Therefore, the child ultimately does not exist as an individual until it is outside of the womb breathing independently. I think she was making something of a reference to the book of Genesis when God breathed life into Adam. This was kind of ironic that she would make a reference like this because in different arguments we would talk about whether or not Genesis was literal and she absolutely didn't believe it was. And so she was really just using an argument like this for convenience. There was no actual consistency on her part. What's interesting about this claim that life is in the breath is that the only reference I can think of in scripture where life is talked about as being in something is when it says that life is in in the blood. What's interesting about this is that we know that in one drop of blood we can find the DNA of a person. And because of that DNA, the body can continue to produce itself over the course of a person's life. All the information that is needed about that person's physical makeup is contained in that DNA. And so there is a very real sense in which life is in the blood. And we know that all this information originates from conception. It was in the course of a conversation with this feminist that I heard yet another attempt to distort scripture. She pointed out that there seems to be a law in the book of Exodus that does not actually treat the unborn child as a full human being. In Exodus 21, starting in verse 22, it says, When men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out, but there is no harm, the one who hit her shall surely be fined, as the woman's husband shall impose on him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. But if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. The issue comes in when there are translations that talk about the children coming out and they actually talk about this being a miscarriage. From what I understand, the Hebrew idiom behind this term that makes the translation process confusing is actually something like when her fruit depart from her. And depending on the context you find this phrase in scripture, it can either be translated as a premature birth or as a miscarriage. However, if you simply read through this passage, it shows that the child coming out prematurely is obviously the idea being referred to. We see that the man who caused the injury is meant to pay the fine in order to pay for whatever injuries occurred. However, whether or not this costs the baby its life is not yet determined until later. And then if the baby does die, then the idea of life for life is applied. And so no, it's actually the opposite of the interpretation that I encountered in the midst of this argument. Far from referring to the baby as less than human, it actually only further establishes the point that an unborn child in the Old Testament is fully considered human. Again, giving full support 
to the pro-life perspective. Another way that people often try to convince Christians that they're hypocrites in the matter of being pro-life is that those making this accusation confuse being pro-life with being a pacifist. Therefore, Christians are told that they are inconsistent if, for instance, they support the death penalty or they support any kind of idea of just war in limited circumstances. However, being pro-life is not necessarily synonymous with being a pacifist, although many who are pro-life are pacifists. It's very clear from scripture that there is a profound difference between the moral state of an innocent child who has just come out of the womb versus someone, for instance, who has committed a murder. Justice in scripture is ultimately retributive. And so if someone takes the life of another, their life is forfeit. And far from being inconsistent with being pro-life, this actually shows the profound value of the life that was stolen in the case of a murder. Again, life for life. Now, there's many questions we could ask about how the civil law of Israel applies during the new covenant. And I'm not going to get into a full-blown explanation of that debate right now, but I will simply state that although there are many ways in which the Old Testament and the civil law of Israel does not apply to Christians today, I don't think this should ever lead us to believe that God's morality or moral standards have changed ultimately at their foundation. And ultimately, in the New Testament, there are ways in which Paul reiterates some of these values. So, for instance, in Romans 13, Paul writes about the authority of the state ultimately bearing the sword and having a responsibility in that sense, bearing the sword ultimately being a symbol of having the authority to carry out the death penalty. And again, in scripture, it's very clear that at least to some extent, there is such an idea as just war. Now, that's not to say that we as Christians should support every military conflict that our given nation might get into, but it's simply to say that in principle, there's nothing definitionally unchristian about supporting a necessary military conflict if it came to that. This possibility should exist in our minds in principle, and it is not inconsistent with being pro-life with defending the life of the innocent. In fact, this is the very definition of just war. It comes about when it is the only means by which we can defend the innocent. But again, that's obviously not the case with every war. Christians are not called to defend every single war. So there's my basic summary of what I believe the biblical perspective is, why I believe it is absolutely the Christian perspective to be pro-life, and what the foundation of that is in scripture. So this brings us to the news today. If you haven't heard, there was a significant leak pretty much for the first time in modern American history. What looks to be like a coming decision from the Supreme Court to overturn Roe v. Wade is now public. And by all appearances, it does look like this decision is going to stand. Sometime in the next couple of months, Roe v. Wade is most likely going to be overturned. So what was Roe v. Wade? Roe v. Wade was basically a decision that enshrined a woman's right to abortion on the federal level. So under Roe v. Wade, individual states, from what I understand, are not allowed to restrict abortion within the first trimester. And so ultimately, the overturning of Roe v. Wade would take this decision surrounding whether or not there should be restrictions on abortion. It would give that decision back to the states. Individual states would be able to decide for themselves whether or not they will restrict abortion and to what extent. So leading up to this, there have already been multiple states that have either outright banned abortion or have passed things like heartbeat bills where the unborn child cannot be aborted once a heartbeat can be detected. If Roe v. Wade is overturned, these decisions will be able to stand, and these states will be able to maintain these independent decisions. Now, I believe that this is ultimately an answer to prayer. For example, me and my wife have long been fervently praying that abortion would end in this country. And the overturning of Roe v. Wade is a massive step in that direction. So for Christians, I believe that this should be a massive wake-up call to us. For a long time, I believe that Christians have been incredibly pessimistic about culture. Strangely enough, if you look back at 
at my video on various end times perspectives, I think you'll find some relevant information and some relevant thoughts concerning my perspective on this issue. I think that for a long time, a very unbiblical, pessimistic view of end times has been growing in the church. This has led Christians to ultimately behave in a very passive and resigned manner before a culture where they will not engage politically the way that they should. They will not engage culturally the way that they should. But I think we're in a season now where this is beginning to change. And this is one massive indication of that. And so while I believe that Christians should definitely be realistic about the incredible issues that still remain in this country, the incredible setbacks that we've experienced, I ultimately have grown very tired of Christians navigating life in a very negative fashion, a very pessimistic fashion fashion, where they basically embrace defeat as the ultimate lifestyle the believer should expect. While we should expect persecution in a culture where our views are in the minority, I don't think that any specific end times theology should give us the excuse to become passive. So some are questioning whether or not this decision by the Supreme Court is going to come through, but I ultimately do believe it is. One thought that I've heard in a few different forms multiple times is that for the left, the issue of abortion is not something that they are as passionate about. About as a pro-life person is. Outside of the fringes, I think that for the most part, people on the left really simply see this as the defense of an innocent medical procedure. This is how they describe it, and I think in many ways they feel this way. However, pro-life people do not see this as the opposition to a simple medical procedure. They see this as a defense of actual human lives. And by extension, they see this as a defense of the dignity of human life itself. And so ultimately, people who are only moderately pro-choice will never be as passionate about this issue as those who are pro-life. And so I think that this dynamic ultimately lends itself to pro-life people ultimately winning this fight. And so to finish up, I want to simply encourage any Christian watching this to continue to pray. Pray that those who are in the Supreme Court will have courage not to turn back on this decision due to social pressure. And pray that after Roe v. Wade is overturned, as I believe it will be, pray that individual states will continue to shift culturally. We should thank God for the victories that have come about in those individual states that have ultimately outlawed abortion. But unfortunately, in a state like mine, in New York, this ultimately isn't going to change anything right away. And so we should pray for the states on the ends of the country, like New York and California, that somehow pro-life thought would gain a foothold in these states, and that culture would change. And we should ultimately pray that the gospel will penetrate these areas, and that this will result in the changing of laws and the changing of culture. Now, if you're watching this and you're not a Christian, you are welcome. Welcome to jump into the comments section, and so long as you're civil, you're free to express your thoughts and your questions. However, if you would consider yourself a Christian, but you find yourself disagreeing with me, there's a small window of patience that I can have with this, in that perhaps you're a new Christian and you simply have not encountered what scripture has to say about this and you haven't thought this issue through. However, if you've been a Christian for a long time and you've given into social pressure and you've bought into these terrible political arguments and you want to come into the comments section and shame me, I'm ultimately probably not going to argue with you very much. Ultimately, I'm going to pray for your soul. Ultimately, if you have claimed the name of Christ for a long time and you claim to be submitted to the word of God, I think you are ultimately called to repent of these views that would ever justify the idea of abortion. And so that's another thing that Christians who are watching should pray about is those who claim the name of Christ but have compromised in this area. This is an area where I don't believe there is any room for compromise. So there's my thoughts on the issue. I hope you found this video helpful. I hope you found it encouraging. I believe that this is a window of opportunity where incredibly great things can happen in this country, where we can turn away from one of the most heinous sins ever invented. But ultimately, we should pray that this movement is rooted in the gospel, and that ultimately, this is the first sign that perhaps America is giving a second 
look to Christ. So if you've enjoyed yourself, make sure that you leave a like on the video and go ahead and subscribe and hit the notification bell again so that you know when new uploads happen. Or if you discovered this podcast in audio form, make sure that you subscribe wherever you are. And if you're interested perhaps in supporting me on a monthly basis, make sure that you check out my Subscribestar page. There is a link to that in the description. So again, my name is Eric. This is Grace Nerd, and I hope to see you around in the next episode. Thank you so much for watching or thank you so much for listening.